So, let me share a text with you this morning. Luke 3. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John, John the Baptist, might possibly be the Messiah. The Jewish people had been uh, waiting um, prophetically and spoken to prophetically about the coming Messiah. So they've been waiting for literally thousands of years for the arrival of this Messiah. John kind of uh, really, literally bursts onto the scene. And and if you've read or heard or done any background, he was a, John the Baptist was, he was a wild guy. He was a bit of a wild character. Uh, and so they're thinking maybe this is the guy. He's unique. John answered, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The people are wondering, might John be the Messiah? John's role, his job. um, If you read a little history and you understand prophetic ministry in the Old Testament... Most of the prophets had a specific calling. If you read Isaiah or Jeremiah, you, you realize, by and large, they say the same thing over and over and over again. They say it in different ways to different groups, but they say the same thing. There's a message. There's a message to each one, and each, each prophetic person is sort of has a role to play in the kingdom, has a job. John's job, his calling, his assignment, if you will, was to be the forerunner to come and announce the coming Messiah. That's what he was given to do. At this particular moment in history, right here, just before um, you know, J- Jesus began his public ministry, he'd been working in his father's shop and just sort of developing you know, his inner life, I suppose. I don't know what Jesus did. We have so little information about his life prior to his ministry. But just before he began his public ministry... Probably no one, and you could make an argument for Mary, but I'm going to go with John had a clearer insight of who Jesus was than anybody. He, He understood more than any other living human being, really, who Jesus was and what Jesus was about. Uh, John and Jesus were, of course, related. They were I don't know how that works. Second cousins, I don't know. I can never figure those things out. But they were second cousins or some distant relationship. They had known each other throughout the course of their lives. Sort of more or less grown up together. Um, and on top of that, of course, John has this calling of God to announce the coming Messiah. Uh, very specifically, that was his job. So I really believe he had the best handle on who Jesus was of any living human being at this particular moment in history. And as he announces the Messiah, this is sort of it. This is, if you've got a a life's calling, there's something, what's your life about? This moment is what John's life was all about, John the Baptist. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So the guy that knows the most about who Jesus is, that's what he says. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The, the word baptize, Greek word baptizo, it literally means to immerse. That's what it means. Uh, he, he will immerse you. He will dunk you, if you will. Think of, I, always, I always think of those dunk tanks. You were, I had to do that once. We had a ridiculous church carnival thing, and I had to sit up on this platform 
I was the youth pastor. I'm a, it's like you might as well have a gigantic target. I had lines of kids waiting to throw things to knock me in the water. I got knocked in the water like 57 times. Um, dunked. That was, I'm sorry, I had to share that. Pray for me. Um, soaked, immersed, dunked. You get the picture in the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is going to do. That's what John said. First thing John the Baptist says about Jesus. He is going to baptize you. He's going to immerse you and dunk you in the Holy Spirit. If, there's, if there is, if there is an a, a identifier, if there is a way to look at someone, know someone, see someone, and, and say, this person is a Christian. This person is a follower of Jesus. That way, I think, would be that that person is soaked in the Holy Spirit. That should be the identifying mark. Uh, they should be, followers of Jesus should be people of the Spirit. Or as my friend Todd Hunter says, real spiritual people. And Todd, when he says, he uses that term, I love that term. Real, he doesn't mean really, like very spiritual people. He means real as in authentic, genuine, spiritual people. Genuine, real, spiritual people. Followers of Jesus, those that go by the name Christian, however you want to phrase that, if there's anything that identifies them, it should be that they would be real, spiritual people. You know, it's interesting to me. I, I, uh, all through history, from then till now, um, and it, it's seasonal. It goes in generations, and, and, and there's, but there have been different sorts of identifiers for Christians. How do you tell somebody is a Christian? In many different times in history, there has been the reality that Christians should look a certain way. And different times in history, there have, been, there have actually been, in different areas of the world, haircuts and things, and that's what a Christian looks like. I suppose growing up for me, uh, if you're anywhere near my age, which I realize not many of you are, but there's a few of you, 60s and 70s, you know, Christians were the more conservative looking. You, you had shorter hair, you didn't have long, you dressed nicely, much more conservative. In the early 90s, I had the blessing of leading a, a uh, service, a young adult church service called the 8 o'clock service. It was called that because it met at 8 o'clock at night, not in the morning. And, um, uh, the, the, and the reason at 8 o'clock, you think, how can you pull off a service that starts at 8 o'clock at night? The reason was most of the people in the group, it was a very large group, were musicians. A lot of them were in bands and or associated with those bands and or uh, groupies and or sort of that whole alternative early 90s crowd. I don't know how many of you remember that, but there were, I, I used to call them the little black people uh, be, because they wore black. Uh, they all wore all black all the time. That was their only color. Uh, just, you know, black clothing. Um, they were very much the uh, early sort of tattooed, pierced crowd, okay? And, uh, I, I re you know, I, and I had comments from people regularly, even people in our church. We were sort of a subset of a larger church. Uh, and I would say, you know, sort of really a subset of the larger church. And some of those folks would... Uh, we met in a building next door. They would wander over now and then and kind of peek in. They, nobody would ever come in. They were a little bit afraid, but they would look in the door. And I'd have comments from time to time, you know, oh, those guys Christians. Um, and they were. They, they were wonderful Christians, but they probably didn't look like most people thought Christians would look. 
I still find it interesting. This happens to me. It used to happen much more often, not so much anymore, but now and then. And I love it when it happens. I'll meet somebody, you know, you start a conversation. What do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. Oh. Well, you don't, you don't look like a pastor. And I always, I don't know how I answer. I go, thank you. I don't know what that means. Um, but uh, you get the idea. There's just, there, there, there's a mindset. There's an idea that Christians would be identified by certain look. Uh, other things, I, I think there's behaviors. Certain Christians would be identified by certain behaviors. Uh, you know, my favorite old saying, you don't smoke, drink, chew, or go with girls that do, right? Isn't that the way it goes? Um, vocabulary is another way you have identified Christians in the past, right? There is, we have this whole lingo. It's been labeled, I suppose, Christianese uh, in some circles. You know, hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord, brother. Uh, and if you say things like that, that identifies you as a Christian. So I, here's my point in that, in, is that none of those things really are, are what I, I believe Jesus would say or what John the Baptist uh, opened the door with are the identifier for a Christian. The identifier really doesn't have anything to do with what you look like, how you talk. It, to some degree, your behavior, it's really that you're immersed in the Spirit of God, that you're spiritual people, people of the Spirit. What does it mean to be a spiritual person? What does it look like to be a spiritual person. There, there are, in, in Scripture, there, there are really two sets of qualifiers, okay? Uh, you know, descriptive, qualifying sort of terms that help us understand what it looks like to be a spiritual person. One of those is called the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are listed for us in 1 Corinthians and, and other places, and we'll look at them in a minute. Uh, the other is called the fruit of the Spirit, and those are listed in Galatians as well as some other places, and we'll, we'll look at those in a minute. So I told you last week, I gave you a little preemptor, that I would start a new series today called Gifts Are Given But Fruit Is Grown, or Life in the Spirit. And here's kind of what's been on my mind and what I've been mulling over over the past several weeks. Uh, and, and here, I apologize up front, because today is really an introduction, but I, I really want to get you up to where, what I'm thinking about. I want, you to, I want you to know what's on my mind and on my heart as I begin to share this series. So today's really just an intro. But I want to explore over the next few weeks <clears throat> what it means, what it looks like to be a real spiritual person, to be an authentic person of the Spirit, to be immersed. If that's the mark of a Christian, what does it mean to be immersed in the Spirit? Um, it's, it seems like this, and, and here's my, this is sort of my observation, okay? I don't know if you guys have seen this, I've seen this, I, I, I feel like I have. There is a disconnect sometimes between, <coughs> would you give me a glass of coffee or water or something? Thanks, Mike. Um, disconnect between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Now, again, this is my observation. I've been a Christian now for 40 years-ish. I've been in ministry for most of those years, full-time for 30 years. Thank you, sir. You're so kind. Uh, and then, but really, ministry at some level or another the whole time. Um, 
And on top of that, I'm kind of a student. I'm an observer of life, of culture, of philosophy, of people. I watch people. I listen to people. I observe. I, I sort of pick up on things. So these are just observations that I have made. I'll share them with you. You see if you identify with them at all. Uh, and here's where I want to go with this. There, there are, it seems to me, groups of people within the greater church. Sometimes it's a local body. Sometimes it's a, a denomination or a larger group. Sometimes that affiliation is a little looser than that. We, we might call those streams. So, you know what I'm talking about? There are sort of groups of churches that kind of identify with one another loosely. So, there's streams. so sometimes there are those streams or denominations or even local churches that have a lot of focus and emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit. And there, there'll be, that's sort of what they're about. And there's a lot of talk about power. You'll hear a lot of talk about power in those groups. Very often, not always, but very often, folks in those streams will travel from place to place. They'll go about to different meetings and gatherings looking for sort of the next move of the Spirit. And there's a lot of emphasis on experience, on your personal experience with God. Now let me say, none of that is bad. None of that is bad in and of itself. That can all be good, except here, here's, again, just my observation, but what, what, I, what I think I've seen is that also sometimes in those same groups, sometimes people's lifestyles are a little loosey-goosey. They can be a little irresponsible at times, a little bit squirrely, not totally upright and moral. Um, sometimes that ends up tragically in a mess. And, and I don't need to give you examples of that. You've probably heard or seen them. If you haven't, um, it happens. It ha- and it can happen to anybody. But, but I have just have noticed in those sort of uh, dynamics, it happens a lot. There are other groups, streams, denominations, churches that tend to be focused on the fruit of the Spirit and on behavior and on maintaining certain moral and ethical standards and constraints. Again, that's good. That's not a, that in and of itself is not a bad thing. But I've also made observations there, and those are this. Sometimes those folks can become a little judgmental or what I would call a little bit religious in a negative way, a little bit religious. And, and actually, you know, ironically, if you will, in their pursuit of sort of this, this higher calling, higher lifestyle, not always very loving, gentle, patient, and kind towards others who aren't exactly where they are in their spiritual journey. if that makes any sense to you. And then the other thing I've noticed in those, those groups is this. Sometimes they don't have much focus on the kingdom of God and on ministry and on serving others. They they're very in, can become very internalized and so focused on not doing anything wrong that they don't do anything at all. Um, and I find that to be, um, personally, kind of heartbreaking. Because I think that's what we're here for. Um, so, so let me say this. In, in the, uh, 
in the inception, the beginning of the vineyard movement, the thing in the heart of, of John Wimber really was to somehow um, connect the dots, to somehow bring those things together, and to be part of a church that uh, lived in and walked in the power and the ministry and the passion that comes with the gifts of the Spirit, but also walk in the character and the integrity and the depth of conviction that comes with the fruit of the Spirit. And so that's really what I want to explore together in this series. See, I, I don't think the, that gifts and fruit should be at odds with one another or that they're mutually exclusive. I actually think they're, they're designed and intended to work together. And, and that to be those people that John the Baptist said we would be if we followed after Jesus, that to be spirit-led, spirit-filled people that we would exhibit both gifts and fruits simultaneously in our lives. And I really think that's the healthiest, best place for us to be. After all, if you, if you look at it realistically, if you say, what's your model? What's, what's the thing you want to look like and be like? You say, well, Jesus. But that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was kind, gentle, patient, loving, caring. I mean, I see Jesus. I love, I love the Gospels. I love reading the interactions he has with people like Zacchaeus, the woman in the well, the guy at the pool, all these people who just had the hardship of life on them, and, and he just embraced them and loved them right where they're at. And to me, there's so much fruit in that. Um, and at the same time, he constantly healed the sick, cast out demons, cared for the poor, fed those that were hungry, met the needs of people. He, was, he moved in the, in the power of the gifts of spirit. And I just think that's, that's really what church life should be like. And so in, the, in this series, and it's, it's, uh, it's developing in my mind as we go, um, you know, the title is Gifts Are Given and Fruit Is Grown, or Life in the Spirit. What does that really, what does that really look like? So let me kind of break that down a, a little bit for you. 1 Corinthians 12, I mentioned and I'm, I'm not going to read it. You can read it. There, there is the most most comprehensive list of the gifts of the Spirit. It's not the only list. And I, and I personally, just off the record, but I don't believe those are the only gifts, that there are others that are not listed. But, but gifts are given, right? G- gifts are given. Gifts of the Spirit are exactly like other gifts, right? We, you give someone a gift. And... When you give someone a gift, it, it, it's really something that's um, in the heart of the giver to do. You think about the person you're giving the gift to, and you, you give them something that you think they'll enjoy, something that they will appreciate. It's really more uh, an indicator of the nature and character of the giver of the gift more than the receiver. The recipient really doesn't do anything. Think about it. It's your birthday. Well, everybody has a birthday, right? You don't do anything other than be born to receive that gift. It's Christmas. Well, you don't do anything. You just get the gift, right? The receiver just receives. That's all you do. The gift is, is really an indicator of the giver. The giver's generous. The giver, the giver is the one that's, that's thoughtful. Um, look, if you're, some of you have children, let's just say your son, your daughter is 16 years old. They get their driver's license. So on their 16th birthday, you buy them a brand new car. 
Not just any car. Let's just say a BMW. What's the BMW sports car? Z4? Somebody help me out here. Fancy. Very, very nice. Nice Um, Very generous. That's a lavish gift. Doesn't really say anything about the 16-year-old. In fact, they're probably going to get a ticket and then crash that car pretty soon. What it says, no, Michaela, you're not getting that car for your birthday. I see. You know, dad says, no, that's not going to happen. Um, but what it says is the giver is generous. The giver is the one who says, hey, I, wanna, I love you so much, I'm going to give you this car. Gifts of the Spirit are just like that. God is a gracious giver. God is a generous giver. God is a lavish giver. He wants to give us good things. He gives gifts. The gifts of the Spirit are given freely without any reciprocation. You don't have to, you don't even, I mean, it's nice to say thank you, but you don't have to write a thank you card. You don't have to do anything. You just, you just open your arms and get it. You, you receive the gift. You don't need to do anything. Gifts are given. Here's the thing, and this is the challenge. Uh, and, and I want to I say a couple things about gifts of the Spirit in our introduction today. Let me say this. This is what gifts are not, okay? Gifts are not signs of holiness. Gifts are not signs of maturity. Gifts are not signs of superior spirituality. And oftentimes, they are identified as that. Uh, you know, people have these gifts. They must be more spiritual than me. No, they're not. Because God gave them the gift. They didn't do anything. Who can get gifts? Anyone. Little kids, brand new Christians. Here's the thing that bugs me. People that have been Christians for years and years but never grown up very much, they can get gifts too. I personally wouldn't give them to them. I'm not as nice. But God does. God does. And it bugs me sometimes. It bugs me. Here's the other thing. Weird people can get gifts. Weird people. And I just go, why? 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 You know, it bugs me. But God just doesn't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't, I I don't think he sees things the same way I do. And he just gives them to whoever he wants. It's probably good that he doesn't. Um, God is totally non-discriminatory giver. He gives gifts to whoever he wants. Let me add here, this is also a little parenthetical comment, but I just want to say this. It may mean nothing to you. If it does mean something to you, though, it's worth it. And that is this, that oftentimes, sometimes in different places, it's taught, it's been taught in some circles that the gift of tongues in particular is the mark, the indicator of being a spirit-filled person. It's the evidence of being a spirit-filled person. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not a spirit-filled person. That's just ridiculous. Okay, can I just say that? That's just ridiculous, all right? It's just, that's stupid. So, I didn't say that, but it, it's ridiculous. It's not, that's not, it's, it's, not a, it's not an indicator of anything. It's a wonderful gift, and it will greatly enhance your prayer life, and Paul says we should all ask for it, and it would be fun if you all have it, but it doesn't mean anything else. That's that, okay? It's, you can be very, very, very spirit-filled person without that, or with it, either way. Um, second thing I want to say about gifts is this, that other than the gift of tongues, uh, but, but by and large, the gifts of the Spirit are not personal. What that means is this. Our, our little tagline, our, our motto here, you know, it's on our welcome slide every week, blessed to be a blessing. The blessing of God 
God blesses us, not because we then can just hang on to that blessing and keep it and be all warm and fuzzy, but so we give it away. It's blessed to be a blessing. That's the way this thing works. The gifts of the Spirit are not personal in that they're, they're gifts God gives you to be able to then bless others. That's what they're for. Every one of them, with the possible exception of the gift in tongues, is used to bless other people. They're for you. you God gives them to you to give to others. To, to, to be, they're tools. They're blessing tools, okay? You're going to bless people, and you now have some tools to help you be a blessing to people around you. Um, so, th- so that's how they work. You guys, anybody that's been here more than two weeks, you know where I stand on being connected, being part of the body, how important it is. And we, we talked about it this morning, just that, that connection to be actively participating in, in the body of Christ with other people. Gifts of the Spirit can't function independently. I, I was thinking about it, you know that old saying, if a tree falls in the woods and will anybody, nobody hears it, does it really happen or something? I don't know how it goes, but I was thinking about that. If a prophecy was given in the woods... Would it be a prophecy? Uh, I think not. I think not because if nobody hears it, well, then what good is it, right? Uh, so, so the gifts don't function independently. They don't, they don't mean anything on their own. They only work together. That's how they work. Um, so gifts are given. Gifts are given by a gracious, generous God freely, indiscriminately. They're not signs of maturity or anything else. They're just gifts that he gives us as tools to bless others. And then the fruit of the Spirit are listed in Galatians. They're there. Um, we, we have on our property, we have a number of fruit trees. Uh, we have two apple trees or three apple trees and a plum tree and a cherry tree and a pear tree and a partridge and a pear tree. And uh, Something I've learned over the years, I didn't start out to be a fruit tree grower. Um, they were there when I got there. That it's a lot of work to grow good fruit. You can grow bad fruit pretty easily, uh, but it's a lot of work to go good fruit. You've got to trim the trees. You've got to feed the trees. You've got to take care of them. Apple trees are interesting. They, I don't know if you guys have ever... Apple blossoms grow in little clusters, and you have to go out there when they're blossoming and take a tiny little pair of clippers and very carefully cut off four blossoms and leave one of every cluster so that the energy of the tree goes into the one apple and not the other. Otherwise, you get five little mutant apples, and if you don't cut them off, and if you do cut them off, you get one really nice good apple. The other thing about fruit is it takes time, right? It takes time. It's slow. It doesn't happen overnight. The trees uh, go dormant, and you cut them back, and they look like they're dead. And my wife says, don't do that. They're killing them. No, no, it's good. They need this. They need to be cut back. And then they grow, and then then leaves come. And then, you know, later flowers come on the tree and then those flowers become fruit and then the fruit grows and the fruit ripens that whole it takes a year that whole process takes a year it's it's slow it it doesn't it's there's a commitment there's a lot of work probably i don't know i'm not a tree more work on the part of the tree than me but it's a lot of work right um fruit of the spirit are just like that the fruit of the spirit are grown over time as we cultivate our relationship with god Fruit are different. They're unlike gifts in this, that gifts are given freely. Fruit really does require some effort. It requires commitment. It requires um, focus. It it requires uh, an interaction and a participation with God. And it it requires sometimes pruning and watering and and, and care. And it takes time. It's slow, slow. Uh, Fruit grow over time in our lives. You don't 
just pray, uh, just in case you were wondering, and say, Lord, uh, and I just don't ever pray this. Don't ever, ever pray. You know, Lord, make me more patient. Um, and then wake up and be more patient. It doesn't happen that way. If you pray, Lord, make me more patient, this is what happens. Um, God will stretch you to make you become more patient. All sorts of things will happen that will require you to be more patient. So I'm just warning you if you pray that. Uh, it takes time. Those things, it's, it's slow. They happen over the course of our lives. So fruit are different than gifts in that way, but they're like gifts in this way in that they both come from the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are given by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are grown by the Spirit. Can I say this? The, the good things in our lives, the, the, let's say, let's, fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, those things in our lives, they're, they're, from, they're fruit of the Spirit. They're from God. They're not of ourselves. They're not the fruit of Glenn. I'm just not that nice of a guy. Okay? You can put yourself in the equation. I'll just use me. I'm not that kind, patient, I'm none of those things. If I have any of that in me, it's from my relationship with God. He's allowed them to grow in me. They come from him. They're not the fruit of Glenn. They're the fruit of the Spirit being exemplified in my life. So, again, I, we're running out of time. This is, was sort of my introduction to kind of get you into where I'm thinking and what I'm thinking about. But I want to, over the next few weeks, explore what it looks like to be real spiritual people and how the growth of the fruit and the reception of the gifts work together in our lives to make us kingdom people, people of the Spirit, people that would uh, have that identifier uh, as, as the mark, the thing that identifies us as followers of Jesus and, and, and uh, you know, disciples of Christ or whatever kind of phrase you want. So let's go ahead and stand. Why don't you guys get up? Uh, we got a minute or two. Can I have uh, a worship person? Two worship people. I don't care. One of you. Somebody said, yeah, look at each other and figure it out. I don't know. <laughs> Cindy's always good. She comes back when I call her. I want to pray today for those of you that would like prayer. Uh, it's our it's our policy. We, we want to pray for anybody that needs prayer. If you've got anything going on in your life today and you need prayer and would like somebody to pray with you, we would invite you to come up front or to the sides, really. You don't have to be on display. It's over here. Some of our ministry team... Uh, folks will be there to pray for you. In addition to that, I, I just want to pray for this. If there's anybody that has just a desire today, if anything I said sort of sparks something in your heart, and you'd like to think, yeah, I would like to be a more spiritual person. I want to be a real spiritual person, not a fake spiritual person. You want more of that in your life. We'll just pray together for those things to happen. So if you want that, come up. So there's folks here on both sides, lovely folks, and they'll pray. So Cindy's going to lead us in a song, and while we worship, if you want prayer, just come up and we'll pray for you.